0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more.
1: On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria.
2: This is the Conversation Hour. So do you live in regional Victoria and still have to walk to the top of the hill to get good phone reception, maybe drive to the Macca's car park to be able to log into their Wi-Fi so you don't drop out of your work Zoom meeting? And how much of that do you think is your responsibility or the government's responsibility? Is it bad connectivity? Is it a knowledge and information divide? Or is it an infrastructure divide? Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today, joining you from ABC, Warrnambool, Kirsten Diprose, standing on top of a hill, holding some kind of tinfoil satellite in order to beam across <laughs> the state today from regional Victoria. Kirsten, in all seriousness, how alive is the digital divide at the moment? Is, I mean, surely things are getting better. Well,
0: I don't carry a tinfoil hat in my bag um, every time I go somewhere, but um, and certainly coming from Warrnambool, I am in the studio, so there's no need um, for for that sort of thing. And I should clarify that sound we heard at the beginning was not me joining <laughs> <laughs> the call. Just if anyone's wondering, we do have some better technology than that. Um, but in the country and. As there is ac- across, you know, the state and and Australia, there is a digital divide. Um, you know, your mobile phone reception uh, isn't as good. You know, regularly at home it drops out, and I can't predict when. I can't even go. Oh, there's a corner in my house that I know is good. It just seems to move around. Uh, and look, I have gone to all sorts of lengths over the last ten years that I've lived um, in southwest Victoria, in a rural area, to get good internet. Like when I married my husband 10 years ago, I said to him, well, A, I wouldn't marry you and B, I wouldn't move to the farm unless (laughs) I had decent internet. And we like, he started, he put a satellite on the roof for me. That's love. That's true love. I know. Farmer wants a wife. Listen (laughs) up. So a satellite went on the roof, but could we Get internet after four o'clock? No, all the school kids had come home. No internet. You could only get it really early in the morning, or like out of hours, which was really painful. Then we went to the NBN, which was fortunately really good for us. It still dropped out a bit, but for other people around the corner, it wouldn't work. It depended on your location between the the towers. Um, and look, now we've actually gone the Starlink route, um, which has been good just to get that reliability because I work from home yeah. and like I need to be able to say that I have reliable internet. You and know. more and
2: more people are working from home now and that has been a huge game changer for people living in regional and rural Victoria and in particular for women living in regional and rural Victoria to be able to apply for jobs that previously they haven't been able to. But to have a backup for a backup for a backup in order to have that connectivity, that costs money, you know, to to have all of those. And that's something that not everybody has. And I just wonder, should that still be the case? Maybe it is. Maybe that's the price you pay for living and choosing to live where you live and, Whose responsibility is it that you don't have to have a backup to a backup to a backup? Is it yours? Is it the private sector? Is it the government? I mean, who do you feel like if nothing works? Do you feel like there's someone you can call and vent to? (laughs)
0: <laughs> Imagine than, a, that a friend. <laughs> I think I think that line would definitely drop out, wouldn't it? If there was such a thing, but I, like I, I mean, we've just done so much research and trial and error from buying incorrect products that were sold to us that we that were t- like we promise would work and just didn't. To you know, I, I've got a, a two providers for internet. I use one for most things, but then I just have a lap um, an iPad with a different service provider in case it it drops out. And the other problem I face is that my power probably goes out once every couple of months and that's when I have to drive 25 minutes to a truck stop where I've got a seat and I just use their internet um, and they make me a sandwich and
2: it's quite nice. Yeah. (laughs) So this is the plus side of having bad connectivity (laughs) is that you get to go hang out with truckies and have a nice sandwich but should it come to that, it's certainly in connectivity in the digital divide certain hasn't, hasn't been flagged anywhere in today's state budget. So if you live in the outer suburbs in the hills or the regions, do you still struggle to get reliable internet and phone coverage? And if you are struggling, whose responsibility is it to fix it? This is the conversation hour. Okay. So no. This text already, Kirsten, from Ash. In today's world, I was surprised not to have mobile phone reception. In Vermont, I had to go out into my street to be able to talk to someone on the phone. And others saying, I live in Elwood, which is, you know, 5Ks from the CBD, if that. And I only get two bars on my phone. So lots of people, even in the Melbourne uh, area, for example, it says, and Kirsten. I live in Richmond. I love listening via the ABC Listen app, but whenever I stand near a tram stop, it will drop out how can optus have black spots even in richmond and that's from dean so connectivity is and is i guess it has issues everywhere but in particular for regional victoria i think for a really long time it's just been accepted well you live in the country you're going to have crap internet
0: And I'm interested, you know, state budget's coming down today and we've just had the federal budget fairly recently. It hasn't been that big of a topic. And ahead of the federal election, there was actually only three Victorian locations that were earmarked for the Mobile Black Spot program, which was uh, Gisborne South, Woodend and St Leonard's on the Bellarine Peninsula. But clearly there are lots of places that could be improved. And, yeah, have we just accepted that, like, this is it? it's as good as it's going to
2: get. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Harry Kelly is a farmer in southwest Victoria where you are, Kirsten. Harry, I mean, do you have to walk to the top of the hill still to be able to get phone reception? How is it where you are?
3: Hello. Um, now I've taken it to different lengths. I've gone and uh, put two SIM cards into one phone so that I can have Optus and Telstra uh, all in one phone so that if someone really needs to get hold of me, they can call me on the other provider just because neither are reliable enough to use one solely for business or you know to be able to maintain you know safe operations on farms and things
0: how did you even figure out how to do that like <laughs> i just i don't i'd have to like take that in uh, take that into someone to show me how to do that so it means that anyone can still call you on the same number but you've got two sim cards
3: yeah i've got two sim cards one um put it this way i'm not that tech savvy myself i got uh i did exactly that i phoned a friend and got help with it but um basically it means that i've got a different number for each sim card and um it confuses the hell out of people but uh it means that i'm you know always contactable and it's much safer Mm. and it's sort of the problem started out when i was uh you know i was fencing one day and out of connectivity for six hours and my partner was looking for me and uh you know, all of a sudden something had to be done because when people need to be able to contact you and know that you're safe and okay, it's, uh, yeah, it's absolutely. necessary. It could be a
2: safety issue. Harry, whose responsibility is it to, to fix this? Because connectivity and the digital divide has been an issue forever, and as Kirsten just said, it certainly isn't making the top of the list in the state budget today. Would you like to see changes happen, and from who? The private sector? The government? Well...
3: I think it's I think it's more difficult than that. I think it's really frustrating to see the government spending money on some things and not others. And as I alluded to, I know very little about technology, but to throw a heap of money at the MBN, and it seems like there should be a lot of crossover and collaboration between these programs. I mean, what's the difference between internet reception and phone reception, and why is there not greater collaboration between the two? So, from that point of view, I think it should be a government government aspect and um, I don't necessarily think, from a Telstra and an Optus perspective, me having to pay for two phone plans every month is cost-effective either.
0: Yeah, great points. Thank you so much for joining us, Harry. Thank you. Harry Kelly, there. He's a farmer in Southwest Victoria. Makes a really interesting point about um, the, you know, Wi-Fi and um, and our mobile mm. phone receptions. Like the, it's, it's linked now. I I turn on the, I back up my phone calls with with Wi-Fi. So and that helps improve my reception. Um, Dr Rachel Hay is with us. She's from James Cook University Agricultural Technology and Adoption Centre. That's up in Queensland. And she's also a volunteer data analyst for the Better Internet for Rural, Regional and Remote Australia. Welcome to the program, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Uh, We just heard Harry make that point about, you know, trying to get the NBN, our internet to boost our mobile phone reception. Is that one of the ways that we can, you know, solve the issues ourselves? I mean, that's kind of something that you're really advocating for is people finding out how they can get the best internet for their own situations.
4: Yeah, that's right. So there are places we can get help um, across Australia, one of them being the regional tech hub, and they've got lots of information there around how you can self-help to get connected, stay connected and use your connectivity. So um, one of the issues that you were just talking about through the com- this conversation was around, um, you know, having trouble connecting in regional areas or in places where you think that connectivity should be good. So one of the um, issues there is that, Uh, people are connecting to services that um, are better served for those who have less connectivity and they're filling them up, right? So people uh, that actually need that type of connectivity can't achieve that. So what you find then is a a bit of a loop where people go to get self-help Mm. And it's still not working.
2: There's, I mean, it's almost impossible to keep up with the texts and the areas of Victoria that people are mentioning. There's one here that says, I'm in Merricks on the Mornington Peninsula. I can see three towers, but I can't get reception and either can people on other networks. But another yeah. text that's from Tracy that says, this is 100% the government's responsibility. We paid nearly $1,000 for Starlink internet because we can't get anything else in our area. Then another yeah. cost to extend the coverage to try and get some sort of Wi-Fi for call Outside, We shouldn't have to pay all of these extra costs for a necessity. Without Wi-Fi, we have no phone reception either. So even though there are more and more options now, they come at a cost, don't they, if we rely on the private sector
4: they do come at a cost on the private if we rely on private sector but we shouldn't be relying on international i'm sorry um, you know international services either because um services like starlink they are expensive they are inaccessible there's no help locally so you know there are better solutions that are locally um available and if we use our resources we would you know, like the regional tech hub, sounds like a plug for them, but really they're the only national um, self-help service in Australia at the moment. So if we use services like that, we can find alternatives. The other thing is, you know, in terms of responsibility around who is, um, you know, who's responsible to make sure that we're connected, Well, it it comes through several tiers. It is federal, state, local governments. They need to work together better with the local providers to solve things, for example, like backhaul, so that wireless internet service providers who provide um, those alternative options when um nbn's and things aren't available just i'll get to that in a minute um you know they're not being very supported because the industry's held up with um all sorts of um issues around having access to that so it's not necessarily um government versus private it's it's more around everybody um coming together to find a single solution um, that gives us a roadmap to better connectivity
0: let, Rachel, please stay with us. We're just going to go to a caller. Gail is
2: in, B- in Morris. Hi, Gail. Oh, hi. Gosh, this seems to be a universal problem. <laughs> I'm sitting here really still so that my mobile doesn't drop out. The wind's not blowing, so that's helpful. <laughs> it's really as bad as that. And I have to have a landline because of this. But guess what? My landline doesn't take 1300 or 131 numbers. So I come back to, I start off with the mobile. I ask a person to please ring me back on the um, landline. They think I'm nuts. And um, it just goes on and on with a lot of costs. Yeah, it's the cost and it's finding those individual solutions, Gail. Like I, mean, I heard Harry before, he's come up with his kind of weird workaround as well. Rachel, when you look at some of the, you know, the volunteer work that you do for better internet for rural and regional and remote Australia, do you find that people like Harry and Gail have come to you and they've said, all right, so this is how I've currently worked it out, right? This is my this is my workaround that I have. I stand on, you know, one leg or I've got two different seats or I get people to call me back on the landline. Are people kind of creating their own solutions at the moment and is that best practice?
4: Uh, people are creating their own solutions. You know, Australians are pretty innovative. We do things to to help ourselves as a, as a general first rule. Um, but there doesn't... It's not necessarily the best way to go about it. So, um, you know, we, we talk about connectivity literacy where it's more than just digital literacy... Uh, or digital fluency it's around you know having the the gumption to continue to find the best service for yourself in your region um, by understanding what's available and and then what your needs are so what we're finding is people are um, quite set in their mindsets that you know connectivity is bad or the the providers are the worst you know or um, I can only get one provider when there's actually lots of options available we just don't know what we don't know So I think this is where we need to start to, you know, focus around the information that we're receiving around how to get connected.
0: So, Rachel, I'm being a little bit facetious, but are you saying it's like having a negative mindset about our connectivity is actually a barrier? Like sort of thinking, oh, my my internet's bad and and having that negative mindset.
4: It's not necessarily a negative mindset. It's more like apathy. You know, we're exhausted. We are so tired of having to find information around things that are, you know, that should be an easy, accessible um, product. Um, that's, you know, it's made harder because there's such a large um, supply network in in tech, in. Um, connectivity technology, you know, it's not like connecting to the water or the electricity where you mm. ring up and take can you turn my house on?
2: Right? And it's hard to know yeah. who to trust. It's hard to know what the best it option is. is. It's hard to know what the right amount to pay is. And then Ooh. a lot of it will change on you. And again, you know, how many times have we all been told by one particular provider, oh, no, it costs more now. Or, oh, no, I'm sorry, we're doing maintenance on this particular day. I remember broadcasting from home during lockdowns and being told by our <laughs> internet provider, with hardly any notice. No, I'm sorry, you won't have any internet connection today. And I had to kind of try and leg it into the studio really, really quickly. So there is a level of, I don't know if it's apathy or frustration, but I think Victorians kind of have the right to feel like that at the moment. How did it get to be this complicated, do you think? Is it because there's just never been a streamlined way of doing it in the first place?
4: Yeah, I think um, there's needs to be more activity around creating clearer standards um you know targets for what we're expecting from providers um accountability in what they're doing and their repair times and things like that 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 doesn't seem to have a structure around it at the moment and so that i think that would be a good first step um is to create that safety net for our consumers especially in rural regional remote areas
0: are there any myths about regional and rural areas that are perpetuating this dig- digital divide, like the idea that perhaps people in the country, I don't know, don't need a good internet connection mm. because they don't use the internet as much or even something as silly as that, which for me saying that, um, I-, I can't see how, ni- how anyone would think that. Well, but I know how you've done farming
2: works that. now and, the, and the, the connectivity that you need in order to run agricultural <laughs> machines. It's so different now. But yeah, I wonder whether the, the stereotype is, is still there, Rachel.
4: Yeah, so um, in the, you know, we need the internet to run agricultural technologies, that's a big myth. We actually don't need to be connected to run many of the agricultural technologies. And the reason that we did that was because connectivity was really hard. So we had to find a solution. So there's many, many types of connectivity agricultural technologies that actually exist. So people have a mindset to say, "I, I don't have good connectivity, so I can't use ag tech um, is is something we need to change so um that 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 becomes a, a real um mindset in how we think about how we get connected yeah um and
0: I completely lost my train of thought on your previous part of that question <laughs> i don't know i guess is there a, do do companies perhaps think that there's you know people in the people in the country don 't use the internet as much or don 't you know yeah watch Netflix or something
4: Yeah, that's the part I was looking forward to answering. So um, it's quite humorous if you talk to researchers in in, um, and around connectivity, not so much more recently but you know certainly only three years ago they will tell you that farmers didn't watch netflix and they didn't want to watch netflix or they didn't want to have um you know social media or or they didn't want to be connected in that way um where we've always known that the farmers are really no different to anybody else if they want to sit down and watch a movie and, and they've got time they will so one of my students at the moment is doing his phd on how farmers use internet connectivity. And um his early findings from his data have shown us that, you know, hundred percent of the of um, yeah. producers in rural region like he's out at Richmond, so in that, you know, really western Queensland area, um, they are using Facebook. They of are using they are. Netflix. Oh, you know, and why wouldn't they be? Yeah, right? Exactly. So that that thought process around people in the bush wouldn't want to do that because they're busy being in the bush. Well that's yeah, that's a, a myth that needs to be busted as well, I suppose.
2: Doctor Rachel Hay, thanks so much for your time you're welcome thanks for having me it's from james cook university agricultural technology and adoption center and also a volunteer data analyst for better internet for regional rural and remote australia so many texts on this imagine being in the Dantinongs in a bushfire emergency with a mobile that rarely has has reception if the power is out and if there is a fire there is no way to report an emergency or to call for help louise is in carlton hi louise Hi,
4: Rish. I live in an apartment in Carlton, and I have my in- I have the window open, even though it's so freezing. I have the uh, modem high up on about five different books, and I've only got three bars, no more than three bars. I've tried four in two years. I've tried four different companies. Telstra and Optus, and then Belong and Nokia, which I've just found out are part of Telstra Yes, Telstra yeah. and Optus.
2: that's it. They're all connected. Yeah. So yeah, if you yeah. you're in the, pretty much in the CBD, Louise, and you're having to have I windows know.
4: open, that's like... yeah. I, and I'm freezing, and the woman below me smokes. I I, I can't be too loud because she'll probably hear you? and so so I smell <laughs> that when we're watching Netflix at night. Um, we have to actually have the television almost near my study so that we can you know, watch the rest of Succession. It, it, and it's like back in the old <laughs> days when you had a coat hanger on oh, your television. That's true. And I'm it's not laughing
2: true. because it's funny, Louise. It's just, but this is the thing. I mean, I can, it's actually reminded me. I can remember a, a million years ago, I used to have this tiny little portable television. And for whatever reason, I could connect into the neighbour's Foxtel when Foxtel was first introduced in the thing. So I had to watch whatever they were watching. and <laughs> But if they turned it off or changed the channel, it was all over. You know, I had no idea, but I was able to connect in to theirs. But Kirsten Dipper, as it turns out, Whether you're in Carlton or whether you're in Warrnambool, that connectivity is an issue. So, is it an issue where you are, and whose responsibility is it to fix? This is the conversation
4: hour.
2: And we're talking about the digital divide today. Whose responsibility is it to fix? It certainly hasn't made any headlines when it comes to today's budget. Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Your co-host today, Kirsten Dipprow, is joining you from ABC Warnable. Turns out there's only one bar reception in Rye as well. Many people saying that Starlink is the only way to go. Uh, Clyde, the reception is terrible. I have to stand in the middle of my garden to get a signal and I never thought I'd have to do this. It's so hard in my area as well.
0: Well, George Fong is with us. He is a self-titled nerd herder. He's based in Ballarat and has done a lot with ICT infrastructure there as a consultant. Hi, George. Welcome to the program.
5: How are you, Kirsten?
0: I'm well, thank you. Uh, We heard Dr Rachel Hay talk about some of the myths and apathy uh, that kind of hold people back when it comes to the internet, thinking that Mm. their connection's just bad and so they don't do anything about it. Is that the problem, that we're just not proactive enough or is there an infrastructure problem as well?
5: I think that it's largely an infrastructure problem. I mean, the, we've been working um, uh, on the internet in regional Western Victoria since the early 90s. And what we do know is that there's always been a corrugated, in, uh, uh, a corrugated iron mentality around the use of technologies. Um, and the whole idea is that if you've got something in the regional area, you hang on to it, make it work for as much as it can until something else comes along. And if something else comes along, it had better be as good as what you had before. So we found fax machines in and stuff like that for getting um, weather reports and the futures exchange and stuff like that. And when we introduced dial-up, um, there was a massive uptake um, in regional rural areas, and they were going to do anything to get on with it. And I think in 1995-96, in, in The Age reported that uh, Ararat had the fastest domestic take-up of uh, internet in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, so, I, I don't think it's a matter of saying that um, well, firstly, I agree with, Ro- Roche- uh, with Rachel. I mean, there is this attitude that we don't need it. Well, if we haven't got it, how, can we, how, how do people know we don't need it? You know? It's interesting. There's a um, text
2: here that says some third-world countries have better and faster internet than <laughs> Australia. While we have you, George, I want to have a quick chat to Teresa who's in Pasco Vale because you yeah, might sure. be able to comment on that. Teresa, welcome. What did you want to say? Um, I just wanted to say that I think people have the wrong perception between a mobile technology... And landline, I mean, we all had landlines. You wanted to make a call, they're secure, and unless, you know, something chews it or it breaks down. But the mobile technology can never give you uh, 100% coverage. It's, but it's the days of landlines, I mean, the landlines aren't how we remember them and don't run the way that we remember them either. I mean, the many landlines now, Teresa, will drop out if they're connected to the NBN. That's that. That's true. So don't connect it to the NBN. Yeah, but I don't um, know whether you're so always going to have that choice, George. I mean, I guess the argument of we'll have a landline and we should go back to yeah. landlines. Yeah, it's not that simple anymore no it
5: isn't but i mean the, the when um, the, there are several levels of of discussion on on the landline thing um the first thing was that when fiber to the premises was first announced the uh, boxes that they ran out we call them dntds the um all were specially commissioned by the federal government to have a landline port now it's not landline as it used to be um uh, basically it's it's a digital um uh, uh, system and and all MBN uh, FTTP boxes got them the confusion came when um everybody in the regional areas said well hang on from it that's fine for those who've got fiber to the premises but what happens if we've got fixed wireless um and the answer to that was that you weren't going to lose your landline um and that's that that's the 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 position um today even with with fixed wireless um so the matter the the problem was, trying to get the information and asking the right questions and and the disconnect between you know what the providers were putting out and what the consumers understood was where the problem was
0: and I don't think we communicate using landlines now. I mean, you ask anyone no. that under the age of 30, and they use um, you know, Messenger and WhatsApp to communicate, yeah. probably primarily you know, calling a uh, a Gen X person is, you know, they, they don't pick up. They're <laughs> terrified of the phone. Um.
5: Yeah, I know. And, <laughs> so and I don't know why we call them phones, because we hardly ever use them for making phone calls yeah, anyway.
2: Absolutely. It's so true. This text from Bob, yeah. it says, Telstra claims to cover 99.6% of Australians. I drive from Benalla to Shepparton or Yarrawonga to Cobram all the time and the coverage drops out 10 times. Working for yourself and trying to make calls between jobs is impossible as clients won't appreciate you being all garbled and cut off with every call. And Bob raises a really good point. And, you know, as we've heard from many people today, this is not just, I mean, it affects people's lives. It affects people's safety as well. So the idea that we're still not sure which is the best one and whether or not they all work together... It just feels like a Groundhog Day, frustrating conversation, George.
5: Let me give you some some ideas about some of the um, um, initiatives that have gone on in the background. Um, the, the Victorian government may not be putting much in the, the budget this time around, but previously, you know, and I was on um, some task forces with the state government. Have the, they've they previously put in one hundred and thirty million dollars to to increase connectivity in rural, regional, and rural areas. Uh, in the last budget, there was a five hundred and fifty million dollar investment in a thing called Connecting Victoria and the reason they did that was because the state government was fed up of waiting for the feds to do it Um, so the the Black Spots program continues on Um, there is a large amount of fibre that is co-invested by the state government and the federal government now because the state government wanted an acceleration of that rollout of fibre and there are um, digital plans for regional partnerships, there are nine regional partnerships for um, regional Victoria, each of them has written a digital plan and they form chapters in a plan that goes to the state government and also uses it's used as a lobbying document to the federal government. They're due for renewal now. Um, If you do know about your regional partnerships, you can feed into those digital plans. And as a part of the the process, community hubs were being funded so people could actually go into the community hubs and find out what it's Mm. like to have no-holds-barred, decent, you know, high-definition video conferencing, the ability to have um, communications at the speed of light and the ability to, to efficiently upload stuff. And the idea is that we lower those tolerances. I mean, we shouldn't have to put up with this sort of thing in regional rural area. There is absolutely no technical reason why every household in uh, in Australia should ha- shouldn't have fibre to the premises. There are it's, plenty it's... of economic and political ones.
0: It's good to have that update George, of of what's happening at a local Victorian yeah. level, and it's it's an interesting approach now to have it sort of geographically based in terms of yeah. partnerships, which is something mm. that's done with environmental things, and mm. that's quite yeah. logical. Do we need to think about um, digital and uh, in almost in terms of geography too because of the different challenges yeah. that regions face?
5: I think so, but I think it's a combined effort. I mean, as Rachel quite rightly pointed out previously, um, there's a combined effort between the community and government. Um, Bear in mind in the Howard years um, that that it was left to the markets to sort out connectivity in the regional rural areas. And the market failed the regional rural areas because there was no money to be made in it. Uh, People say, well, look, are you subsidising connectivity in the regional rural areas? Well, no, we're not. Um, The bottom line is that the returns on the connectivity uh, that, that, that cover things like education health you know increased productivity we talked about agriculture we you know iot the, the internet of things iot networks are being rolled out now because where you have mm. um, towers and where you have connectivity it's where the population centers are if you're a broad acre farmer in the wimmera uh, you know you're one person standing in 100 km- square kilometers um, so there's there's got to be a change of mindset whereas Absolutely. you have different a different approach in, reg- in in metropolitan and suburban areas.
2: And given how many people have relocated to different parts of regional yes. Victoria, George Fong is with you, a nerd herder, self-proclaimed there. AB a yes. Ballarat-based ICT infrastructure consultant. So many texts. This coverage is terrible here in the Macedon Ranges. Two-factor authentication requires code to mobile. Our neighbour has to go back up their block and yell out the code to her husband in the house on the. Computer to try and complete her transaction in time. Let's have a chat to Bruce, who's in Geelong. Hi, Bruce.
6: Yeah, good morning. Um, uh, It's interesting listening to a lot of people sort of assuming that the the problems are only in regional and rural areas. We're about 20 kilometres west of Geelong, Uh, you know, the the state's second biggest city. And our our problem uh, started about 12 months ago in terms of mobile reception. We're in the Moorable Valley. And uh, it took me probably about three weeks of absolute frustration because all of a sudden our signal um, dropped, and you know I spent hours, literally hours, on the phone to Telstra callback people, and you never get the same person. No. You know I probably spoke to fifteen people, and what had actually what and and it was up to me to find out that what had actually happened. Telstra decided to move their uh, mobile transmitters off a private tower so I assume they were leasing space on that tower which was on the edge of the valley yep. and they built a smaller tower nearly a kilometre further back from the ridge of the valley
2: and uh, um, I think you raised a really good point Bruce in that you sort of get lost in that circle of your service provider and who you can get to help and the, that the onus is on you but Bruce Lots of people from where you are are saying the exact same thing. It says, I commute to the city from Geelong. It's near impossible to connect to a personal hotspot while on the train due to poor reception, even while paying for the best connection possible on the Telstra network. Crazily, there's no Wi-Fi on our trains. makes it so hard to get any work done. Just another example, of government infrastructure that's impeding the growth of satellite cities that could help ease the burden of our population-related issues in capital cities. You have to learn from London and other cities around the world. Is that text right? Do you think George I mean do do we need to lift our game here? Do we need to yes, somehow streamline it and work better like London?
5: but again the the, the it, it's a change of attitude i mean the, the traditional way that um, mobile now ne- bear in mind, we're talking about two separate things. mobile networks are one thing, and yes you can get internet across them and then of course there's the the fixed network which which um, is represented by the nbN the two work in, in in conjunction with each other and they're not one does not replace the other one does not uh, compete with the other but the the issue for us is there needs to be a change of attitude about how those that infrastructure is rolled out um the bottom line is that traditionally you put them along highways and you put them along um large um, population corridors uh, because that's where you're going to get the most purchase and take up. So if you drive down highways, generally you should be getting uh, um, a signal along all of the high, the the the, um, uh, the major highways. The attitude change should be that if you need um, uh, connectivity on the train, why don't you build um, uh, towers alongside the 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 railways um, near population centres? So you get a double benefit. People don't benefit want them yeah. yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> you, either, either you can have it or you don't. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what, what was done along the, um, the uh, railway line between Ballarat and M- Melbourne. I mean, basically towers were put up to enhance the uh, connectivity in the train. And I know people will say, well, it still drops out. But that there was a double bonus for the, um, for the people who are living around those areas. If you don't want the towers, that's fine. But you don't get the connectivity in terms of mobile.
0: George, what about Starlink? We've had quite a few people text or comment saying that, you know, Starlink has been a solution for them. Yes. Should we rely on that, though?
5: I think, as an interim step, it's it's a good one. Um, uh, we have Starlink units in uh, our company, and we do use them to deploy them into mobile areas where where we temporarily need um, access. The fact of the matter is that, that the the need for Starlink is filling in a gap that should have been filled by by the NBN. Um, the bottom line is that nobody in Victoria should have should have had to have had satellite because satellite was designed for remote areas. And as Rachel has quite rightly pointed out, we've used fixed Wi-Fi. To to speed up the the, the rollout, uh, but at the expense of um, the people who need those sorts of technologies. And the Wi-Fi, um, uh, the, the, sort of the fixed wireless solution, um, uh, is is one where if you if you have a large number of people using that particular tower, um, there are fair use um, um, uh, policies put in place because that bandwidth is effectively shared between the communities that are using it. So the short answer is yes, Starlink for people who are stuck in the middle of um, uh, if you like black holes or shadows for the fixed fixed wireless uh, is an expensive but a useful solution but it's not the mm. a permanent solution. I think in three to five years time you'll find that the space junk up there and the number of satellites that you need to, yeah, to service Starlink will start to become That's a problem.
2: That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well I wanted to yeah.
0: bring you back down to, to balance. Ballarat for a second, George, okay. and just quickly ask: like what's what's the internet like in Ballarat? Because I know I drive in from the west when I yeah. go through Ballarat, and I see lots of new housing estates. Yes. And what's it like for new homes? Do they have good connection to the internet? Is there a divide in that city?
5: Oh, there's the, 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 the $64 million question. I'm, I'm sitting here in Mount Helen uh, on a gigabit fibre connection, um, and there are now... Part of the original the the original, uh, the original uh, F, the NBN plan was that all new estates over a certain level would have to have a conduit put into them so they could run fibre out. Um, there are a lot of new estates now that are getting fibre. Uh, there are some new uh, developments. For instance, um, uh, Kirsten, you'll know Car- Cardigan Village, which is eight kilometres outside of of um, of Ballarat, yep. they originally got fixed wireless. Now, all of a sudden, Cardigan Village started to grow rapidly. And what has happened now is they've reached the threshold where they need to put in um, fibre for the new houses that are there. But there's a digital divide between mm. the old and the new now because you've got fixed wireless on one side of the street wow. and fibre on the, the other. The digital so.
2: divide just gets narrower and narrower. <laughs> yeah. oh. George, thanks but so much overall, for your Ballarat insights. well. I've, oh, you're most welcome. I followed most of it, I have to say. <laughs> George Fong, Cynthia Ballarat based ICT infrastructure consultant. This text, Kirsten, it says we're in a commercial estate in Caram Downs. Mobile reception is terrible to none. Business can't connect when they come here. Apprenticeships sign up with the rep. Other techs who come in can't get job information that they need on their devices and they have to use our Wi Fi. Andrew's in Mount Martha. Hi, Andrew.
7: Good morning, ladies. Lovely topic.
2: It's tricky, isn't it? What, how do you sort of take all of this?
7: Well, the, the reason why I thought I'd ring up this morning is I think one of the issues that's being lost here, we've got two types of communication. One is wireless and one is fixed. Fixed is pretty simple and straightforward, as the previous person was saying. You get it through fibre optics or, or the fixed landline. But the, the thing that's sort of being missed is the mobile communications is a pretty hard ask for a lot of technology. We're talking about frequencies, radio frequencies, that are very high up in the in the allocation. For example, uh, the 5G network runs on 3.5 gigahertz. Now, the point of that is it behaves like light. So, for example, if you're standing on top of a hill and someone else is standing on top of a hill you shine a torch, you'll see it. But as soon as you go behind a dip, that torch beam or that light is going to disappear and hence you're going to get a call drop. So you've got lots of little technical idiosyncrasies which are going to affect your mobile signals. Not to mention the grey line, which is where day turns to night. It's a very unstable time in our atmosphere. And, of course, the same things happen. Calls will drop because of what's happening out in the atmosphere.
2: Andrew, what do you do? Um, I'm a microwave engineer. A microwave engineer?
0: The thing is, we all need an Andrew in our lives to like call up and go, can you just come to my house (laughs) and work out Yeah, where I can actually get the best reception, how to configure my life so that I don't have this constant problem. But I mean, that's the thing. Do we all need to have that level of um, knowledge Mm. to, to be able to just make a phone call or check your Facebook?
7: Well, well, this is it. it. It's one of these technologies which is is pretty amazing. We talked about Starlink this morning, but, you know, things like you can't use your mobile phone in an aeroplane. It's not because it's going to upset the avionics of the aircraft. It's because you're going to access so many cells from up there because it's like that light beam being shot on about 400 cells. And the networks are going to go, I don't know how to, how to handle this.
0: He's I pat- just find Why? That fascinating. I, I, I don't do aeroplane mode. Isn't that terrible? Oh because I know goodness. that it's not going to bring that, the, the plane down. If it was that <laughs> critical, they wouldn't do it.
2: <laughs> Andrew, That's how many true. calls do you get from family members and friends trying to get you to fix their Wi-Fi?
7: Well, a lot. And don't forget the <laughs> Wi-Fi is also part of the microwave band. We've got two Wi-Fis, 2.4 gigahertz and 5 gigahertz as well. And they also have the same characteristics as the cells that send the, the yes. voice signals and
2: data from the cell on the top of the hill to your house. So this is why I don't use microwaves, all right? Because <laughs> they're <so laughs> too complex and they freak me out a little bit. Andrew, you've actually sort of made some really clear pictures in my mind. Thank you so much. Kirsten, what's interesting though, isn't it, when you listen to people like Andrew, is that very few of us truly understand how it works, but at the same time we just expect it to work all the time, clearly and exactly when we want it. Like our Wi-Fi went down over the weekend. I had no idea what to do and how to fix it. And I felt like my world had caved in a little bit. So it's interesting how little we know yet how much we expect.
0: Yeah. And and then whose responsibility is it to be able to fix these problems? You know, are we expecting too much um, from, from providers? Um, you know, <laughs> I say that not really, because yeah. the, the 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 other point that people have made um is that you you often only hear one side from providers that they only tell you their products and their services, and if they don't really truly have the right thing for you, you're not going to junk.
2: That. No, that's exactly right. And how often, as we've heard today, do you actually get to speak to somebody that can help you in a timely fashion? I guess that's what happens when. Lots of things become privatised. Francis is in Kelcalo. Hi, Francis. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. You're on air. Hello. Good morning. You're Good on morning. air, Francis. <laughs> yes. Well, do you know that Wi-Fi was actually discovered in Melbourne
1: by the CSIRO and Melbourne University? No. Mm. Ah, when was that? Well, do, do, do more research into that, Rochelle. Um, But, you know, what I was actually pointing out is that in a place like Morocco, I live in Australia forever, but I went to visit Morocco and you can get good Wi-Fi in the desert. (laughs) I <laughs> uh, 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 around the whole of Morocco
2: <laughs> and here we are in Australia we can't get it right please <laughs> I know. let's get it right you can get it in the desert in Morocco but this is the thing right we have to understand microwaves more in order to be to understand why our connectivity is okay in Morocco but it's not in Carlton or it's not in Warrnambool whose responsibility is it to fix it what do you think this is the conversation hour.
0: action is made
2: Michelle, up with you in Melbourne. Kirsten Diprose, as always, joining you from ABC Warrnambool. We're looking at whether or not the digital divide still exists. And I think it's not necessarily a digital divide between country and city. Now it might just be between the old town and the new town, like new estates and then the old parts of the town like Ballarat. Rochelle, I did a quick fact check
0: from our last caller and uh, the CSIRO did uh, invent and patent wireless technology in the 1990s. Uh, I haven't confirmed whether that was in Melbourne, but there you go.
2: Bill's in Callista. Hi, Bill.
1: How are you going? I'm in the uh, local fire brigade up in Callista. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, during the last uh, couple of storm events in uh, Callista and, um, you know, with a big storm in June in 21 and another one in um, October, we had um, probably four or five days where there was no um, power. So with no power, we had no... <clears throat> the Telstra Tower was down, of which we only have one mobile tower. And all the NBN um, comes in by NBN, so they'll it to the node. And so the nodes were all down, so the communications was effectively nil. Um, anybody who had a crash in our area at that time, there's no triple O calls by any means unless somebody else drove out of the area first. Mm. Um, the so fire, you're with the, fire the local, local fire committee, brigade, committee, we brigade we
2: Bill, had, did you say? What's that? Did you say you're with the local fire brigade?
1: Yeah. So we we only had one radio within the station to be able to do communications for those periods because um, it Uh, even though we've got two landlines, they were both down because the NBN was down and there was no mobile service um, because the tower was down. So uh, communications in the area was um, effectively nil.
2: So there's us talking about connectivity and the issues that it causes, but if you're someone that works in frontline services and in emergency services, I know obviously you've lost power during storm events, but then Calista is also lived through bushfires as well. I mean, when we talk about ensuring that we have connectivity, this is a different level again for you, Bill.
1: That's right. So we're trying to get um, CFA or Telstra or somebody within emergency services to change our connection from fibre to the node, which is power dependent to fibre to the curb. or fibre to the premises, which would then mean we could run a generator and actually uh, then have comms within our centre. Mm. So, Because I was able to sit at home and have fibre to the curb at my house, which is only a couple of hundred metres from the tower, and I could sit and happily receive phone calls um, yeah, it's with so important. Wi-Fi calling yeah. on the internet. Um, but it'd go up to the brigade and we're effectively, like we're back in... Uh, uh, 1900 sometimes. Yeah, so that's just no, no phones.
2: It's it's frightening to think about. To yeah, and it puts it in perspective as well in terms of connectivity. Bill, thank you. Thanks for the work that you do and thanks for giving us a call as well.
0: Associate Professor Mark Gregory is with us. He's a Senior Telecommunications and Network Engineering Academic at RMI University. Hi, Mark. You've uh, actually done a recent study about the difference between, you know, urban and regional and remote in terms of the internet. And it's funny because today we're hearing people, lots of people from Melbourne with problems. But is there a divide?
8: Oh, most certainly um, we have a divide and the the issue that we've been hearing from all of the previous speakers is that um, we really don't have um, the information or what we would call the evidence to identify where is it um, where are our communications working Um, do they meet minimum standards Um, what are those minimum standards and you know where doesn't it work and, and why doesn't it work and so and that was the purpose of the study that I did early last year and and I've published a couple of reports on the um, the study. Um, that are on a website called apo.org.au, where everyone publishes their reports, and and basically the outcome of the, the process was that I was able to collect evidence um, in large areas across Australia, which showed that um, the amount of data, the throughput, or you know, or what we call capacity um, that people were getting in in regional or remote Australia was about ten percent of what people in these right. urban areas um, receive. So So that's pretty devastating.
2: Absolutely it is. And when you talk about minimum standards, there's minimum standards and there's minimum standards. I mean, Bill from Callista who just rung, surely someone that works as a firefighter has priority over a minimum standard. There's us that's saying well, I've lost Wi-Fi, I can't log on to the age today, how annoying. And then there's, you know, ensuring that you have telecommunications or you have connectivity when you're in a dangerous situation protecting the community.
8: Oh, most certainly. And, um, you know, we quickly forget that telecommunications is an essential service um, and that for many people, telecommunications is really a matter of life and death. And therefore, we need to focus on on um, the outcomes that achieved the best results uh, for the nation, before we start worrying about whether we can watch Netflix, uh, and it's that process of going through the analysis as to what we need and how do we get it. Um, with telecommunications, there are two key things. One is access. Is it there? Do we have the connection? Is it reliable? As we've heard with the uh, with some people, um, that they don't have reliable connectivity, and the other thing then is performance or throughput or capacity that we're getting over that service. So we need to remember that there are the two different issues. Um, related to telecommunications and um, we need to identify how do we improve both it's not a matter of focusing on one because you can have great access like I was standing you know um, 200 meters from the Telstra tower in um, Geraldton and I was getting less than one megabit per second on my on the devices that were measuring the performance Um, so you know, it's very important to understand that there are the two issues and uh, later this year the government is going to start um, a $20 million study um, on mobile performance audit that they announced at the last election Um, and that will hopefully provide us with more evidence which is the type of um, um, outcome that we need if we're going to get the mobile carriers to start to raise their game and and to actually provide not just access but also performance uh, in many of these regional or remote areas.
0: Professor Mark Gregory we've heard a lot about you know it's an essential service but can we actually afford the NBN you know to perform the the role we want it to across the country? Is that really a feasible idea when we do the numbers?
8: So there are really... Let me just break the NBN down in the sense that there are, if you like, two outcomes that we'd like to achieve with the NBN. One is to provide... um, an open and fair and competitive telecommunications market. And we do that by having a wholesale telecommunications network that retail service providers can sell to customers and compete amongst each other. And really, the NBN has been successful because we now have more retail service providers than we've ever had in this nation before so we've got more companies competing to sell you nbn um, than we've had it for any type of telecommunication system in the past the other question is is it um performing to what we we want it to do and really we we have to look at the nbn in terms of um what it was aiming to achieve and when it was built the SkyMaster satellites for example were designed to provide data only not telephony um, because we we have a USO and we have um, a USO provider contracted to 2032 which mm. is Telstra and so telephony was left out of the mix um, but really we very quickly learned that what we need is a single solution to provide yeah. data and telephony and so All of this is going to come to a head in around 2032 because the NBN satellites will have to be replaced and the Telstra contract for this um, provision of the USO uh, will end in 2032. And so... Um, really in the lead up to the next election, the government has a lot of decisions to make. Um, And the reason they need to do it now is because it takes five years from when you sign a contract to get a satellite into the sky.
2: That's right. And maybe then it will make it to the, the top of the budget. As we said right at the beginning of today's program, connectivity has certainly not been uh, anywhere near in today's budget that we're going to hear about and to have one single service that does everything I think would be a dream for most people Associate Professor Mark Gregory, thanks so much for your time. Senior Telecommunications and Network Engineering Academic at RMIT University I think we need to end with this text which is from Karen in Hyatt because before we heard that there's incredible reception in the deserts in Morocco. And it says here, and in Morocco, they also disguise their phone towers as really tall palm trees, a single pole with opaque fonts wrapped around and all the antennas and hardware is hidden. That's from Karen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's what we need, palm trees to solve the internet and mobile phone reception.
2: At least disguise them in some way. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Take care and we'll speak to you soon.